Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to people who want to speak more as a way to build their income and grow their business. Well, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. I'm Jane Atkinson, your host and the founder of the Wealthy Speaker University. Today's show is brought to you by something different. I've not done this before. It's the Wealthy Speaker Focus 40. For those of you who have been listening for a while and maybe you've thought, oh, I'd love to I'd love to implement some of these strategies, but I'd really love to check in with a coach to see if I'm doing the right thing for myself on track. Uh, we actually offer a Focus 40 session. That's a one-on-one session by phone or Skype that will allow you to kind of map out your strategy. And if you think that might be a good fit for you, go over to speakerlauncher.com and you can click on the coaching page and it's going to give you the first few steps and step number two is the focus 40 session we'll talk through your strategy I have an intake form that will allow me to get a real snapshot of what's going on in your world and we'll move forward from there now today you know some of you have a book that you'd like to get onto the bestseller list or maybe you're trying to get book for speeches and you've thought about getting yourself in the press today we're going to talk about how to book more media appearances and our guest expert is the one mr bruce celery welcome bruce hello there well i'm so excited to have you on the show today we've been trying to get this going for a while now haven't I we know, and we go back <laughs> by the way we go back like 12 years Mm. I've known you for a long time. Wow. When did we first meet? I can't remember. 12 years ago. 2006, I hired you. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that part. Experience as one of your (laughs) coaches back when I was getting more serious about uh, doing more speaking. Oh, how bad is that? I really, I really did forget. Okay. Let me give everybody uh, your bio and then we're going to fill in some blanks here. Bruce Celery is a is a personal finance expert, consultant, and professional speaker. He's the author of the Globe and Mail bestseller, Moolala, Why Smart People Do Dumb Things with Money and What You Can Do About It. He appears regularly on City Line, a daily lifestyle show that airs across Canada and the U.S., and is the host of Moolala, a weekly radio show on Sirius XM. Bruce consults to financial institutions and nonprofits in the area of financial literacy and speaks at events from coast to coast. So, Bruce, what else do people need to know about you? Um, That I have an eight-year-old and I'm (laughs) terrible with her hair, but very good at pretend. I am very, very good at pretend. That's awesome. I bet she's adorable. (laughs) <laughs> she, she is adorable. And it's funny because we're talking about the media. I have I, w- one time I went to do this morning show and the host looked over and she said, what is on your fingernails? And I said, oh, Abby wanted to do glitter nails. So, of course, the, the, she comes back to the from the commercial break and the very first thing was like, look at your nails. You're amazing. Right. My credibility shattered. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, you have a long history with uh, both radio and TV. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was a traditional packaged goods marketer at Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. And I um, looked up at a wall of facial tissue boxes one day and thought, (gasps) I hate my life. 
I need to quit. And the thing I really want to do is go be on TV. It's what I really, really, really want to do. So I quit my job. I developed this plan. I went and, um, you know, pursued this TV dream and spent nine years, 10 in traditional television, but nine at a network called BNN, Business News Network. And so I did everything from chase producing, reporting, anchoring. I was the bureau chief in New York City for a while. I hosted a documentary uh, series and a workplace show. Uh, So I learned all aspects of the TV world and then decided, you know what, I'm kind of done with that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to strike out on my own and uh, started doing personal finance workshops in the area of personal finance and then got a book deal, then got a show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. And now my business is three things. It's media, as you mentioned, a whole bunch of media in lots of different places. Mm -hmm. It's speaking. So I'm repped exclusively by Speaker Spotlight and I go out and do that thing. And then I also do consulting engagements in the area of financial literacy with Mm. lots of different clients. Oh, great. Well, I'd love to talk to you. I'm going to get to the media parts here. But at the end, if we have time, I'd love to talk to you about your feeling about exclusivity, because I think yeah. um, I might I might be able to help um, shed some light on that with people as well. Yeah. So uh, let's talk first about what makes a great guest in the media, mm-hmm. either on TV, radio, or in podcasts. Well, so there's a whole bunch of different things. I would say it's the coming together of extraordinary performance and an ability to <laughs> make it work according to the demands of the the show, whether whether it's radio or TV or even print. So I, you know, I, I'm on both sides of it. I also host a show. Great guests are ones that deliver on the air, but they're also ones that are easy to work with. So uh-huh. they respond quickly. They are clear. They're game. They're a yes. They're low maintenance, all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So it really is that combination. And not all speakers are great in the media. Many think they're great in the media, but they haven't put the same level of focus and rigor around their media performance as they have on their podium performance. That's an an assertion there. But we know that as you do more and more work in the speaking world, you'll see what great is. And most of us really want to be great. So we work at it and work at it and work at it. And sometimes speakers think that it's a one for one, that it translates um, automatically to that new environment. But there's so many other variables and it's a different game. It's just a dip. You can be super, super athletic. But if your game is basketball, don't expect to go to the Olympics in uh, luge. It's not like <laughs> Would you say that people try to give too much, that they don't know how to speak in sound bites or, yeah. you know, small chunks? It, is that one of the main, main things? It's one of the things because a media, media interview, let's say, let, and let's include podcasts in that. Podcasts sure. are long form. Like we're going to talk for 30 minutes. So sure. that's, that's similar, but it's also not... If I'm used to keynoting for an hour, it's much shorter. Second of all is as speakers, we once the introduction occurs, we take the stage and we own it. No matter what happens, if the ceiling collapses, if someone <laughs> chokes on a chicken bone or someone pulls the fire alarm, as speakers, we'll still deliver the magic. We are accountable. We're going to do that. With a media appearance, you're, you, you can still take on that same level of accountability, but there's a host. There are cameras, there are microphones, there's a whole bunch of other things. So you're no longer in charge in the same way. Now, it's not that you're not accountable, because my view really is that if you're the guest, you need to be accountable for an amazing segment, regardless of what the host is doing. But it's not the same thing. 
because it's not your show. There's some other input. And, even, and if we include print in this, uh, you know, you're going to do the interview and they're going to take some clip from what you said and use it in some completely different way. So it's just a different context. Right, right. So let's compare uh, giving a keynote and the uh, interview, let's say, on the radio. Yeah. What would be the differences? Number one would be uh, duration. So a radio interview could be three minutes. It could be a minute. It could be seven minutes. So if you think about your signature story for your keynote, you build it and you've crafted it and you know every beat and moment of this magical story <laughs> that pays off to thunderous applause and a standing ovation 45 <laughs> minutes later. Radio, yeah, I got three minutes. Right. So how do you have the same... Uh, commitment to engaging your listener, having that be an authentic engagement, being whatever it is for you. So for some people, it's funny. For some people, it's inspiring. For some people, it's insightful, whatever your brand of it is. But how do you do that in a very, very short period of time? Mm. And and can you send them questions ahead of time so that you're able to, is it better to prepare your answers or not? Just Yes, prepare but you need to be paradoxical in your preparation. Okay. So you need to be completely prepared and also wing it regard, depending on what happens. Right. So if someone says to me, I'm doing a media interview and I say, great, are you prepared? And it's like, what, why, why would I prepare? I, I don't know what they're going to ask me. Right. You need to be as prepared as you would be for a keynote. The difference is you have no idea what's going to happen. Right. Right. But if you don't prepare and you don't know what's going to happen, what, what are you, what are you holding on to? There's no foundation. So I recommend that you prepare the segment based on what the producers have told you or the, or the podcast host or whatever, okay. Okay. but be willing to follow the puck wherever the holy heck it goes okay. and know that uh, sometimes the host will go off in some direction that either there is no cheese down that tunnel or <laughs> it's out of your area of expertise, whatever it is. And so you want to bring them on home to something that is relevant to you and to your expertise. There is no cheese down that no tunnel. There's no cheese. Why are we going down that tunnel? I know there's no cheese. That's a meme. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. So mostly the reason that you might be doing, I would say the majority of my clients who are out there doing a bunch of radio, uh, like Libby Gill, who just was on our podcast not too long ago, is because they have a new book to promote. How do you sell more books in three minutes? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to answer that question. But first I want to say the other uh, principle to being on the media or being in the media Mm -hmm. is to reinforce your thought leadership and your credibility, right? So it is very hard to translate something as tangible as book sales or speaking engagements to media appearances. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, the the correlation just isn't there. Right. So I take the view that I want to do media, partly I love it, but I want to do media because then the public sees that I'm a credible voice trusted by X, Y, and Z. So that's really the first thing. It's really about um, a strategic uh, positioning in the marketplace versus a tactical sales oriented thing like, ooh, I did the morning show in Dallas, therefore I'm going to sell a thousand bucks. It doesn't really correlate in the same way, but it might have a buyer go, oh, I saw her on the news. I'm going to now go and look at her video. She seems amazing. I'm going to book her. And when I book her, I'm going to buy a thousand books at the same time. Okay. 
In terms of your question, and I will answer it, is if you're on a book tour, which is a particular phase and it's a short period of time, it'd be the thing that would get you on that morning show in Dallas once, but not twice. Right. What gets you on the morning show in Dallas twice is, oh my God, she was so amazing. She was so fun. She was so perfect. Here's this other thing that happened in the world and I want to bring her back because she was so great. So the book becomes a, oh, by the way. So I still get introduced. You did it. I get introduced with my book title, mm-hmm. but I'm not trying to sell books. That book's been out for years. It's not how I drive my business. I drive my business by um, getting speaking gigs versus book sales. So now in the book tour mode, in that very specific period, when you're like out there and everywhere, you got books in the trunk of your car, you mm-hmm. got books in your lapel pocket, you got books in your purse. I absolutely feel feel free to sell the book. What I would be cautious of is the journalist's tolerance for too much selling. Right. So as, as someone who interviews people all the time, absolutely, I'm going to include the name of your book in the intro. Sure. Maybe I'll let you, you know, reinforce where people can buy it at the end. But I would have the listener or the viewer be inspired by what you have to say. And if they if if you do that, they can Google the name of the book and they'll buy it online. It's really, it, it is a softer sell. When you reference your book, in my book, it says this. In my book, it says that. Is that not annoying to the, if it's, if it's repetitive? Yeah. And it's also, that's the hard sell. Yeah. And I don't know that that works. Also, we know the economics of books. It, it, it is a rare book that sells a million copies that makes you $2 million if you're with a traditional publisher. Mm-hmm. Most books don't sell that kind of volume. What, what has us as speakers make money, not to say that people don't make money on books. They, they can. But uh, it's really about our, our thought leadership, our, right. our magic on the podium, and our ability to deliver value for clients in whatever way we do that. Building your street credibility, I think, is always a great idea in terms of, and, and some people might have a little montage of clips and where you've been yeah. or what have you. It might, it might come and be built into your preview video. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Let's say we want to get on a big national talk show to continue to, you know, be the person that's out there on thought leadership. What are some of the steps that we are going to take in order to book those? So I think there's two basic approaches. One is an awesome PR firm with relationships. Right. And the other is an unconventional way to skip that game entirely and get the engagement of a producer or host because of something you have done. So if we think about all the, you know, the magic of viral videos and things that just unfold in the world, and all of a sudden you see someone from some small town in, um, you know, Idaho or Saskatchewan is on the Ellen show. They didn't pitch the Ellen show. They did whatever they did that had them be notorious. And then Ellen reached out. So that's the, it's serendipitous. You're, you know, if you're someone who creates video, you're doing all these videos, you're just doing whatever you're doing. And then something might hit, but it's not, there is no recipe there. Um, the, the publicist route is a clearer one in that those are the people who have the relationships with the producers and the hosts Mm -hmm. and they're in there all the time. So what I think about here is, uh, who are your people? 
where do your people get their information? Mm -hmm. Because you don't say you're writing a book uh, and it's a very specific thing targeted at um, the chemical industry or something like that. I just made that up. So it's, it's about the chemical industry and there's conferences and there's lots of things that happen in that industry and there's trade publications. Don't try and get yourself booked on the Today Show. Right. It's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be helpful and they're never going to book you. Right. Because it's not relevant to the mass audience. Right. It's relevant to a very specific audience. So in my world, personal finance, I can go on any morning show anywhere and talk about how do people, how do smart people get a better handle on their money? That is a mass topic. Mm -hmm. But I don't go on a morning show and talk in detail about durable goods orders, the next move by the Fed, the stress test on home, but like, like very, very detailed investing stuff that I used to do at Business News Network. Right. That's not a mass topic. So I would go on BNN and do that, or I would do that in some other way, but it's not a mass topic. So just think about your viewer right. and think about the shows, the podcasts, the publications that your viewer engages with or your listener engages with. Okay, that's good advice. And, and okay, so let's say you want to be on standby. Let's go back to the chemical idea again. Yes. Let's say you want to be on standby as a media expert in case of a chemical spill or something yeah. like that. What, um, how do you get on into a, is there like a database? Does a show have a database? Like a speakers yeah. bureau has a database of experts based on these tag topics? Yeah. Um, I believe the biggest one is called Cision. C-I-S-I-O-N. I have used it as a, uh, on, on the other side of things and I'm in it because that's how people pitch me. Okay. Uh, I would say it's maybe 60% accurate, okay. but what I would do, and you can do that and you can pay the fee and maybe split it with some other speakers and, and just play around with it for a couple months to see if it's helpful. Oh. What's probably more helpful if your topic is that niche is um, do your own research. Right. So let's use the chemical spill uh, thing. Mm -hmm. Google do an internet search for chemical spills and then find the reporters that, so it might be the environmental reporter for the New York times. Right. The, um, you know, the science reporter for the Washington post or whatever. And they're the ones who write the think pieces on that. If it's news of the day, it'd be a news reporter, but just sort of build up who are those journalists. And in the era of Twitter, what's really great is you can not only um, tweet at these reporters, you might be able to DM them if you can get their interest or using any other social media platform, you can get to them in much more direct ways right. and build up a relationship without an ask. Yes. So for example, I saw your piece on the chemical spill in such and such a town. What I loved was you cited this, this, and this. That's it. I'm not pitching you. I'm just saying I'm a chemical spill expert. I saw what you did and it really worked. Very or good. I read your I read your coverage. Here's another angle you might not have considered. Because if you think about news of the day, there's obviously the news. And then as long as it stays in the cycle, in the news cycle, there's a need for 12 more angles. Right. Like, how are we going to talk about this one today? Right. And so experts are the ones who know those angles and can provide um, context on all those angles. Fantastic. And really, you're, you're actually talking about something that we've been talking about here on this show with regards to LinkedIn is to, to show up and just build the relationship. 
to show up and just be aware, be present in somebody's world and offer them up things that might be helpful solutions to them rather than the big ask, like you said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Story ideas, connections to other thought leaders. Like I have in my world of personal finance, I have insurance, mortgage broker, investment advisor, like I have probably two or three people who are in my immediate circle who I can go to off the record and they can be a a sanity check. They can be a quick answer. And so I I do take them on the air sometimes, but not all the time. Mm -hmm. I rely on them for all these different questions uh, over the course of weeks and months and maybe have them on the air once a year. Okay. I like that. Um, PR agencies, it, mm. How can we try to avoid wasting money in that mm. regard? Think about what the purpose is of your um, media work mm-hmm. and if it's connected to revenue, whether or not it's worth the investment. Ah. So if you have a new book out, you've got a reason to be in the media in a way that you don't if you don't have something to offer. Mm-hmm. So with my second book, I, uh, in addition to the publicist offered by the publisher, I paid for my own. And the reason I did that was I wanted penetration in the lifestyle on the lifestyle shows. And I knew that I needed a Toronto-based publicist who worked with the lifestyle shows. It's a very specific market. category. Mm. It's a very specific market. And it was worth every penny because now I'm a regular on these shows. And once you've built that um, – what it, once you've built those relationships directly, you do, I don't need a publicist now on an ongoing basis because I just am you, in the cycle and I do all that stuff. Oh, I love how specific your goal was in that situation. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and I do remember once uh, one of my good buddies in the industry, Joe Calloway, he spent a significant amount of money. I think it was book number two, Becoming a Category of One. In, in trying to get that reviewed by the right eyes. Yes. And once it got reviewed by the right eyes, I can't remember what the publication was. It wasn't the Wall Street Journal, but something like that. Um, everything changed. Yeah. It was like everything yeah. exploded. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, a whole bunch of books sold. It was now he was in the hands of decision makers at a completely different level. Yeah. The thing about wasting money, and I think speakers are kind of funny about this because it's such a high margin business that we feel like every expense, every expense <laughs> we pay is like, oh my God, I can't believe I paid that out of pocket. We, we, we need to remember. One speech. That, yeah, it's one speech. Yeah. It's one speech. So this PR firm that you think, oh, geez, did I, did I waste five grand or 10 grand on that? Well, if you're billing out at five to 10 grand a speech, and let's let's say it's after tax, so maybe it's not one speech, maybe it's two, uh, but that, that really could be worth it. And so we have to kind of rejig our paradigm for what value is because, yeah, out of pocket, 10 grand seems like an enormous amount of money. Yeah. But if we get a gig that we would not have otherwise gotten or I, saved ourselves a bucket of time, because maybe you could you know, mirror what a publicist would do and try and build those relationships on your own. Yeah. Oh God. Like that's a lot of work. It's the relationship part. You know, you probably just don't have the in that somebody else may have. And sometimes we pay for access, right? Yeah. 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 So, okay. I want to put some things in the show notes. So we talked earlier about this database. Uh, Can you spell that database again that you talked about? I think it's C-I-S-I-O-N. Okay. And are you familiar and have you um, 
been on or worked with Haro before? Help a reporter. Oh, help a reporter. Help yes, a reporter not in out. ages. Not in ages. Okay. Uh, so for people who don't know about Help a Reporter, it's um, it's a periodic newsletter. You you skim it. And if there's something that you can feel, if you feel you can add value to, you leap on it and connect with them. At least that's right. how it was back when I did follow it. Yep. The, the reason I don't do it now is I have way more requests for media than I could ever sure. deliver. So just because I've been doing this for a long time. So I really only do the shows that I have relationships with unless they're even bigger than the ones that I do. Does that make sense? So I won't do, if someone calls me up from a local radio station, I probably won't do it. But if sure. someone comes me up, calls me up from CNN, I would. Sure, sure. And, you know, I want people not to compare themselves. You know, you are way into this really far and you've been a media personality yourself. And so don't compare. Well, why isn't that happening for me? Yeah. You may need to put the 20 years in to get to this same place. Yeah. Um, help a reporter out, H-A-R-O. You can go and sign up. And for me, it just gets to be overwhelming because they send out a lot of... I. Yeah. The emails now, it's grown significantly. But I know that uh, Sarah McVannell, who's the um, president of the Toronto chapter of the Canadian Speakers Association, she is getting a lot of work from that. Yeah, and great. so she's getting great exposure from it. And I think it's really worth it to check it out and see if it's a good fit for you. Your yeah. topic may come up every once in a while. Yeah. Okay, we'll get those in the show notes. Um. Let's talk for a second about your, uh, you decided to go exclusive with Speaker Spotlight. Talk a little bit about your speaking career and let's just mm. look at things from that perspective here for a second. So, so I started as a uh, TV anchor. So TV anchors would get asked to, so I covered business. So mm -hmm. could you come and do a journalist view of the economy? Great. So I would go do that. And I started exclusive because I had literally no idea how any of this worked. And the anchor in the makeup chair beside me, Deirdre McMurdy, who's this amazing legend in Canadian business journalism, she said, you should get a speaking, uh, go, go with a speaking bureau. So I'm like, oh, I don't even know what that is, but of course <laughs> I will. And I did, and I started exclusive and it was not great. And it wasn't great because there were promises on the bureau side that were not fulfilled. And I didn't have enough experience mm -hmm. at that point. So it was not the smart move. So I, we draw, drew that relationship to a close. And then I went non-exclusive and worked with a whole bunch of different bureaus for many, many years. And then I, I booked probably 50% of my revenue direct. Mm -hmm which is great. It means you don't have to pay a commission and you get to keep all the money. And then I had a multi-city uh, booking and there was so many uh, additional questions, so many additional requests. And I thought, why am I dealing with this directly? Mm -hmm. I, 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 it's starting to be a, a, a negative on the relationship because I feel like I'm supposed to stay yes to stuff. Whereas when it's a bureau gig, they don't even pass the requests on sometimes because mm -hmm. they know like that's inappropriate. You don't ask that sort of thing. Of course, he's not going to fly out and do a free gig before you even do a contract. Like the bureau would never even ask me that. Right. But they, when you're working directly, they do ask you that. So I, um, I talked to Speaker Spotlight about going exclusive and I did the math on what, how many incremental gigs would I have to get 
for it to pay out. Mm -hmm. And I can't, it wasn't a big number, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a big number. And I, I've worked with them for years and years and years and years. And they're wonderful people. Yes, they are. So, so it, uh, has been a great move for me, especially because I speaking is a third of my business. It's not 90%. A lot of speakers, it's like, this is what they do. Right. It's a third. So, and I have an eight year old, I'm not doing 60 gigs a year. I'm just not. So uh, I don't ever need it. Well, not never, but certainly in the next couple of years, don't want it to be 60 gigs a year. So it's it's been great. I think that you nailed something that is a really good um, criteria that you might look at if you are thinking about, oh, maybe I should be going exclusive with a speakers bureau. The people who are the best fit for that, having run an exclusives division down in Dallas when I was there, the people who are the best fit are the people who have other gigs going on and this is only a small percentage of what they're doing in terms of total revenue. It's not that they want 80 engagements a year. Typically a good person for exclusive is someone who wants maybe 20 a year. And that's not a lot of pressure on the bureau to come through with those 20 for you. Uh, They also aren't going to launch your career likely unless you are some sort of celebrity and you know you coming out of bnn that probably uh would have been a good fit for you but perhaps much more so when you started getting all of the when you're already making the phone ring for yourself that's kind of when the bureaus are going to be more interested in you from that perspective and and i think you're smart you know you decided that the administration of it all wasn't worth it give it to somebody else and uh and let them let them close the business and and rifle through all the offers (laughs) yeah Good for you. That's great, Bruce. Well, I'm really happy in Speaker Spotlight. Couldn't be a nicer group of people. Yeah, great. So, okay, great. Now, we have um, nine tips to being a great guest in the media, which you typically would take uh, an hour (laughs) to do. Uh, Yes. I'm going to run them really quickly, and maybe we'll just stop on anything that you think we um, we should hone in on any further, okay? I'll, Great. I'll just do the really quickly. We'll put it in the show notes. Respond to the request immediately. The, the media is quick, 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 right? Quick, that- quick, 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 quick. So if you get the email and you take three hours to respond, don't even bother responding. Wow, three hours. Don't even bother. It, for for something that's a news-driven show, if it's like 60 minutes, okay. you know, <laughs> you got a day. Right. But uh, the thing to remember is it's very time-sensitive. It is also a world in which there is so much work. Yeah. There's just so it, for a journalist is a lot of work. So you need to move very, very quickly. And you can respond and say, yes, I'm happy to do it. No, thanks so much. Or maybe I'm available at three o'clock. Let's see it, you know, if, if, a quick call to see if it's the right fit. So you got to move quickly. One of the interesting ego things that I notice on the other side of it as an interviewer mm-hmm. is, um, and sometimes this even happens when I've been pitched, is people won't make themselves available when we need them. So, you know, they'll pitch, 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 and then we'll say, great, we'd like to have you on the show. Right. Oh, sorry, he's T- traveling. Tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> well, There's it, short timelines, right? Yeah, yeah. So don't pitch. 
if you're not going to be available. It just because right. what what you have to recognize, and this is maybe sound egotistical for me as a journalist, the power dynamic is that the journalist has the power. Right. So if you're not going to do it, I'm going to go go to someone else. Right. Unless you're a big marquee name that I'm going to work for months to just you know book Malcolm Gladwell or mm-hmm. you know some major name. I'm not going to bend over backwards for most people. Right. So you need to bend over backwards for me. You're just going to go on to the next name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Think about the viewer. The demographics, the psychographic, the knowledge level, all that kind of stuff. So picture who's, who's sitting at their kitchen table listening to this podcast, who's tuning you in on their drive to work and talk to them from both a head perspective and a heart perspective based on your on your um you know on your beat really depends okay and every station knows exactly who their demographics are they're going after a very specific niche and so you should should know that before you you uh, go after the show prepare your prepare your content Prepare, prepare, prepare. Know what three minutes feels like. A lot of people just don't know what three minutes feels like. So they will, they're, they're asked a question and they'll have this great answer and it's a two minute answer. And then the host has a chance to ask like one more question and you're done. So really ensure that you have practiced what the duration feels like. And also that no matter what the duration is, that you've got something for the listener in that short a period of time. You know how sometimes, um, clients will say, we love you. We're going to bring you in. But instead of an hour, you've got 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a part of us is like, well, I can't do what I do in 20 minutes. And a part of us is like, I'm taking the 20 minutes. I'm going to find the one diamond. I'm going to polish it up. And I'm going to have that be an amazing 20 minutes. So with media, choose your one thing and to commit to make a difference to that listener or that viewer in the time that you have. Love it. Love it. Uh, Manage your emotions. Yeah. So a lot of speakers have to do that. I still have to do that with how I, when I walk onto a stage, know that TV will be different. It's unfamiliar. There's people poking at you. The interview may be coming in through an earpiece. There might be a weird microphone. You might Mm. be sitting in an uncomfortable stool, all that stuff. So just check in with yourself and uh, know what's going on in your mind, body, and spirit so that you're on your game. Mm. Because if you're nervous and that affects your performance in a negative way, I, as the journalist, don't care. I just won't have you back. Mm. So you need to be responsible for your uh, nerves such that you can deliver, as you would be at the front of the room delivering a keynote, right? Like if you're really, really nervous or you've had a horrible day or you got in a car accident on the way, no matter what, you deliver a 10 out of 10 every single time. Okay. Um, we've said prepare for your content and number five is prepare for your performance. So we'll set that one aside. Look professional. Talk to me about makeup. Makeup is very different for television, isn't it? Yeah. And you need to ask if they do it or you do it because these days it is less common for you to get makeup. Even five years ago, you always got makeup. Now you don't. So I always travel with makeup and Uh it's easy for a guy, right? Because I just put on powder and it's fine. Mm -hmm. But for a woman, what is the makeup that you need in order to look and feel your best? And it's a different, it's different makeup. It's not the same makeup as you would. The technique is not the same, excuse me, as if you were going to a cocktail party. It's a lot thicker and I would not know how to begin to become camera ready like uh, that's the other the other thing. funny thing for women is mm-hmm. where's the microphone gonna go 
Right. So if you're wearing this gorgeous dress with a scoop neck. Have a clip. It, like yeah. you clip in the microphone in your nostril. Where's the microphone? <laughs> so if you've got a button-up blouse or a blazer, there's always some place for the microphone. Right. The other thing to remember is a lot of these TV sets have very uncomfortable seating. So you could be on a stool. You could be on a couch. What is it that is going to be comfortable for you? If you've worn something that's really uh, tight in the legs or that you is going to be shown or short. Or short skirt. Yeah. Short skirt. Just sort of think through, like, what is that <clears throat> going to feel like in different environments? Practice sitting down. I'm wondering, maybe, Bruce, if there's a YouTube video on how to do makeup for television. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, I bet there, sure is. there is. Okay, good one. Um, look professional. We already said that. Engage with the host. So sometimes, they, if they're anchoring a live show, they will have literally no time with you. So they may be uh, listening to the director in their ear during the commercial break right. and say, maybe smile at you. And then the intro goes, and you've never met this person, never talked to them before, and we just need to somehow fabricate a relationship with someone who in, in another context, it'd be so weird. Like you would, right. they don't even say hello and they're asking you about, you know, your deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> so I would research them, know a bit about them. If you can, if you've got 15 seconds in the commercial break, develop rapport, yes. talk to the host during the interview and don't look at the camera. Okay. And um, remember to be on from the very beginning, just smile warmly and look at the host because what often happens is you don't know which camera they're going to use. You're off camera. Yes. Yes. You, you think, think you're, you're off, off camera, camera, but you're, you're like, on. I got something on. I got something on my tooth. I got something on my tooth. And then when you see the replay of the broadcast, you realize, oh my God, I have my finger up my nose. During that <laughs> okay. Intro. Mortifying. Okay, good, good. Uh, be a yes. Be a yes to whatever they say. So I did a bunch of work with Second City years ago, and it was the most helpful performance training for on, right. on the podium or in the TV studio, because it means your default is I'm a yes. So if there's a surprise question, yes, and I'll just answer that great surprise question. If it's, um, you know, if it's a disengaged host who I had a host once, they thought they were interviewing someone else and started asking me the wrong questions. Oh, okay. a subject I know nothing about. So you have to find a way to do, I had one TV show where there was a moth in the studio and I'm answering the question and the host is looking around at this moth <laughs> around the studio. And I thought, what is she looking at? And I couldn't say, what are you looking at? I had to just deliver. Go with the, it. Just go. Oh, that's fun. Uh, if a, if a light piece of light fixture drops on the set, you just keep going. Yeah. I mean, in improv, what we would say is we would acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of radio. Mm -hmm. And one time there was a host and I could hear it wasn't the host, but it was someone beside them having a coughing fit or no, they sneezed. They sneezed. Mm -hmm. So someone nearby, it was on a hot mic, they sneezed. And so I just said, bless you. And then, <laughs> which I would do if I was having a conversation with, I would just turn to the person and say, bless you. That's so I think you want to acknowledge what's happening that the listener or the viewer could see so that it's not weird. You're not a robot. All right. Love it. Improv training can be helpful. Um, if is the term is, is saying great question actually Never good to say, say 
That's you stupid. Never say that. It's so stupid. All right. It's patronizing. <laughs> what do you think? I have terrible questions, and I just happen <laughs> to give you a good one. Okay. I mean, I'm sure you could maybe say that once if you truly believe the question they have asked is insightful and you're right. surprised by how amazing it is. Right. If it's tell me about your book is the question, and you oh, say, well, that's, question. that's dumb. Ridiculous. And uh, you can't say it more than once. Sometimes people say it multiple times. And it okay. Makes crazy. All right. Well, as a naive podcaster, you know, somebody says, great question to me. I think, oh, okay, good for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not a jaded media person like you. Uh, okay. Last one. Debrief the segment. This should be so helpful. Professional athletes review their performance. Yeah. The best speakers review their performance. Mm -hmm. So listen to the segment, watch the segment, ask yourself what worked yeah. and what didn't work as well as you'd like. Ideally ask the perform that the producer or whoever did the interview for feedback and ensure that you ask for feedback, not praise and say, you know, I want to get better at this. What could I do differently? Okay. Because um, it, it's not the time to look for validation. I don't think, I think it's the time in the beginning, it's the time to learn. So, what and really the best way to learn is to watch yourself mm -hmm. because you can't trust your feeling of how the segment went. It's usually not accurate. I just watched myself this morning doing a segment and I thought, oh my God, I've sped up again. I've got to slow down. What am ah, I doing? But I could, that wasn't my experience when I was taping the segment because I'm a fast talker. I always talk fast. Right. And you know, something someone brought to my attention was repetitive. Um, if you are the interviewer or even the interview, just watching for what you repeat, I always said, wow, oh, wow, wow, wow. And then somebody said, well, you're making your wows less effective by saying it so often. So I thought that was very helpful feedback. Right. So uh, running the tapes. Okay. If somebody would like to, oh, we need to do a plug for something. I feel compelled. Uh, if somebody were like to know more about your book, Moolala, Why yeah. Smart People Do Dumb Things With Money, tell me who that book is perfect for. Well, it is perfect for those who need a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down <laughs> when it comes to so really, I, that's a soundbite, everybody. That's a soundbite. I love so it. So many people don't love talking about their money. They don't like thinking about it. They don't like talking about it. And so I wrote the book for them. It's why it's called Moolala. It's not called like, you know, seven tips to making more in the market. It's Moolala. And it's Moolala because we've got to have a little bit more fun. I think we often forget that money is a tool. It is an amazing tool. And I don't get weird talking to my eight-year-old about how to use a screwdriver. It's a tool. It's in the tools, in the toolbox. And I pull it out and we look at how do we use it and which thing, you know, da, 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 da. and I endeavor to provide that same perspective when we do allowance. Money's a tool. So how are we going to use the tool? So the book is for people who need a uh, spoonful of sugar and also who really value a holistic view. Everything I do is inspiring people to get a handle on their money so they can live the life they want. Oh. And it's not me for me to say what people should want. If you want to be the richest person on the planet, fantastic. I've got tips for you. If you want to just make exactly the same amount of money as you've always made, but have these extraordinary vacations or, 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 or. I don't care what you want. I just want to help you get it. Mm. Okay. So I put you on the spot there. I just want everybody to notice exhibit A was what you just said. You did not expect that question. And yet, boom, you had this beautiful, I don't know what the time frame was of it. You had this beautiful, um, very clear, concise 
idea of who it was for and boom, a beautiful um, sound bite as well. Spoonful of sugar to help it go down. So that is mastery, everyone. And I can't tell you, Bruce, how grateful I am that you have come on the show and uh, given us uh, how to get more media to turn into more moolala. <laughs> it is totally my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, thanks for uh, being with us today. And uh, for those of you who have enjoyed and listened, please give us a rating, give us a review. We appreciate it. We appreciate you listening. And with that, we will say, see you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Wealthy Speakers Show. Please visit speakerlauncher.com for your free wealthy speaker audit and visit speakerlauncher.com forward slash podcast for show notes and many more resources to help you catapult your speaking business. See you soon, wealthy speakers.